Hi Future Sight listeners, Ollie Judge here. This week we're featuring an episode of Capgemini Financial Services Banking, Payment and Wealth Spotlight podcast. This episode features something that you wouldn't normally associate with finance, gaming and esports. Get an inside track on how finance and gaming might be more linked than you think. And we'll be back next time with more Future Sight. Hello and welcome to another episode of Banking, Payments and Wealth Spotlight, a podcast from Capgemini Financial Services that looks at the latest trends in financial services through the lens of some of its leading experts. I'm your host, Mary Ellen Harn, and today's topic really pushes the envelope of innovation. It's all about how interactive gaming and esports can be part of financial services. Joining me today are Shankar Krishnan, who is a career banker, having worked at Citi and Standard Chartered Banks, and is now our EVP of Banking and Capital Markets at Capgemini. Also joining is Richard Kim, a former Goldman Sachs banker and now a general partner at Galaxy Interactive, which is a leading VC firm focused on some of the world's smartest interactive and technology companies. And lastly, we're also joined by Andre Janak, also known as Raynad. He's founder and CEO of TempoStorm, a leading American esports company with over 8 million followers on social media. Well, thanks to all of you for joining me today. And I have to say, I feel like I'm sitting at the cool kids lunch table on this podcast. So let's start with Shankar. As a career banker and now an EVP at one of the world's leading tech services company, what is your view on gaming and esports? Thanks, Mary Ellen, and it's really a pleasure to be here with Andre and Richard, almost like having my NFT moment today. But yes, I, I really see that esports and gaming ch- changing this industry in a very big way, and Richard and Andre are front and center to that. So esports viewers is one metric, Mary, that I look at, and that's around 650 million. And of that, the esports enthusiasts are closer to 300 million. Around 2.5 billion gamers around the world are purchasing merchandise closer to $170 billion. If you look at Fortnite, which we all talk about, we have over 350 million active folks playing that. And Roblox, which just went IPO, has over 200 million active users. Consider that for a company that just started in 2004. And now let us look at Citigroup, a company which was started in 1812, one of the greatest financial services companies. They have over 200 million customer accounts, if that is uh, any comparison. And if you look at Robinhood, which is democratizing a lot of wealth management, they have 15 million users uh, having just started in 2013. So this is a way of saying, Mary Ellen, that gaming and esports are a huge opportunity for banks and fintechs in terms of their future customers, and they catch them young, and then they manage the entire life cycle of payments, collections, wealth, all the way to pensions for this new demographic. It's true and an incredible opportunity here. So let's now turn to Richard. As a former Goldman Sachs banker, what is your view on the future of interactive? How big is the market for interactive, and what are some of the key investments that Galaxy has made? Hey, thanks for having me. So I have to say that the reason I get the most excited about the interactive space is it's meshing with so many other interesting things happening right now. So gaming alone is now $175 billion a year market. To me and the things we've been focused on as a fund are we've been very supportive of game studios and things within the game 
ecosystem itself. But one of the most interesting trends has actually been how gaming is overlapping with categories like social, like open finance, and really just the technological changes that are, are, are driving new users to the ecosystem. This idea that really everyone is now a gamer and that a whole host of media and content is going to shift from essentially passive one-way content to two-way interactive types of content where the audience is actively involved in shaping the evolution of it. I think these are the types of things, the cross-section between gaming interactive on the one hand and finance, technology, and social on the other that gets us most excited. Richard, as you look into the future, what are some of the trends in the industry that resonate well with your investment thesis? I think the most topical one right now is Web3, right? Web3 is essentially this whole movement to re-architect the services and products of the internet so that they fundamentally benefit people and individuals rather than entities like big tech. And where that's relevant for Gaming Interactive is there's it's enabled an entirely new industry that really connects creators directly to their fans. It's enabled entirely new business models around patronage where you have incentive alignment and not just one-way monetization anymore where you have creators selling things to their fans, but creators essentially creating long-term games for their fans to participate in where if one of them wins, they all win. And so we can dive much more into that in detail. Things like NFTs or non-fungible tokens are a very good example um, of what happens when you unleash some of these new primitives and you intersect them with fields like gaming, art, and the creator economy more broadly. That's really interesting. And it's easy to see how you could take some of these opportunities that have such vast followings and sort of translate them with technology to other parts of people's lives. So now I'm going to turn to Andre, who is our famous esports personality. Andre, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on at Temple Storm? What have you been up to and what's ahead for you? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mary. Yeah, so here at Tempo, we, we're just really excited about the products we're building. Right now, we're in the middle of creating some of the first interactive shows to ever be made. And that's just a really exciting um, thing to be a part of in such a young industry. Um, and we're about to release our first video game that we've been developing for years. So that's coming out later this year. The whole team's hard at work, working on polish and finishing that. And it's just a, it's a really exciting time to, to really take this audience that we've built over the years and to finally be creators bringing cool interactive products into their hands for the first time. And you know, your timing couldn't be better. I mean, we've been all reading in the news reports that the, that the pandemic has really fueled the takeoff of mobile games and games in general. Do you think that this is going to continue past COVID? And what's your strategy with that? Yeah, absolutely. The rise of mobile games is even happening before COVID. And at this point, I believe mobile games make up the majority of the, the revenue in the game industry. And yeah, that trend's not going to slow down. There's just so much lower of a barrier of entry because everyone has a cell phone. Everyone has a console in their pocket. And when you remove that barrier of needing to buy an expensive computer or a $500 console, it's just uh, so much more scalable. As a company, for example, and we're making sure that when we make a game or when we make an interactive show, both of them are mobile playable. The show can be interacted with on a cell phone. We, we use a lot of bleeding edge technology to just make people be able to like tap on the video player and interact with what's happening on the show in real time. And you know, the game that we're creating is fully cross-platform. So we're not just focused on one console or one platform like other developers do. It's really important to us to capture that mobile audience. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. I'm one of those mobile game players myself, so I completely get what you're saying. 
And now let's just turn back to Shankar now, because we've been listening to Richard and Andre, and basically they've been talking about how gaming and banking customers intersect. There's a connection there. And as a management consultant with Capgemini, how would Capgemini approach this opportunity with our clients? How do you see the intersection? How do you see it fitting into banking? The gaming and esports were the first to kind of be equal opportunity. And, you know, we see a lot of initiatives out there to make it equal opportunity for anybody. But gaming being a digital first industry, it is the first instance of where it all happens. But more importantly, what banking is learning from this industry is how do we improve customer experience? How do we create an agile approach to something like product engineering? I mean, gamers are very loyal. How do we learn from loyalty aspect of that? How do we take up other initiatives like improving health and wellness, for example? And and how do we personalize better? Those are the things banking as an industry is learning every day from uh, gaming, esports, and interactive. And I'll give you some examples of where this has worked. For example, Barclay Card in the U.S. came up with a social credit card that actually embraces a game in the way you use it. Emirates NBD, a bank in Dubai, used a very gaming approach to helping their customers with fitness, and they saw a nice uh, growth in their deposit base. BBVA, another great bank, at the, you know, does a lot of things digital first, used gaming applications to help their customers learn from banking and make it easy. Zinja in Australia is another fun example where they make banking a very different experience and a lot of fun. So Capgemini is involved in a lot of uh, things in the gaming industry. Obviously, we help a lot of uh, companies with their target operating models, with their strategy, but a lot more uh, work in terms of running the operations uh, on the cloud. But more importantly, Mary Ellen, we see a lot of work we have done lately from a UI UX design thinking perspective, right, interactive. I mean, as you know, uh, the Sony Walkman happened at uh, Capgemini Lab in Frog Studios, uh, also did a lot of Apple hardware applications. And Exola, which is a company used by Roblox, Epic, PUBG, League of Legends, and so on. I mean, we built a lot of design thinking applications for them. I mean, for Riot Games, we kind of created a large community of users, you know. And we are seeing with Disney Interactive a lot of ways in which design thinking can bring together magic. For XFL, we are bringing to life Binks McMahon's vision of creating a football league that differentiates on a fan-centric experience. So like this, there are several immersive experiences, and I'm not mentioning all the things we are doing in augmented reality and virtual reality. So it has been a very busy few months for us. It sounds like it. And it's a really interesting intersection between technology and interactive gaming and esports and how it can be transferred with banking to create more of a customer experience. So now let's turn back to Richard. The industry that you've been involved in in interactive is constantly evolving. How do you see this intersection between technology developments and the creator economy fitting in for such an industry like banking? I I don't have a view on whether gaming and the creator economy will fit banking specifically. I do have a very strong view on what's going to happen at the intersection of finance and and gaming, though. My broad view per the kind of Web3 comments in the beginning were, I think we're at the beginning of a multi-decade super cycle of retail empowerment that's being fundamentally driven by the fact that culture and community are, for the first time, tradable assets. Consumption, when you look at the gaming market 
historically and as well as things like movies, music, and entertainment broadly, consumption has always been this ephemeral phenomenon, right? You you go to Disneyland and you've spent your money and your ROIs win minus 100%. Now, of course, you don't think about it that way because you think you spend money to have a good time. But what's interesting to me is consumption now is no longer this ephemeral thing. It's something persistent that using technology can be captured. It's not private, but it's communal. It's not limitless, but it's scarce. And the sum of all of these things happening is that consumption for the first time is now collectible. And when you looked at how big the value of the consumption markets are across entertainment. Like I, I, I recently looked at Sensor Tower stats and in 2020, over $22 billion was spent in mobile gaming across genres that include these persistent cosmetic items. And the financial ROI of that spend was minus 100%. So what happens when consumers get all that same engagement value plus some of these new primitives around ownership, scarcity, social recognition, and even the possibility of a financial return. In my view, these effects are not additive and linear. They're really multiplicative and exponential. And so it's really no wonder to me that things like NBA Top Shot have recently sold over $300 million of digital collectibles because we're seeing kind of finance and, and gaming and collection markets collide at an incredible rate right now that's allowed creators to, to really directly connect with their fans. To answer the creator economy question specifically, I, for the first time, the other day, just yesterday, I bought a, a piece of art that was created by this artist in Buenos Aires for half an ether, so almost a thousand bucks. And like this cutting out the middleman effect is very real because I would have otherwise never even been able to connect with this person. And, and so when you consider what's happening in terms of technology enabling this better form of art, where you have transparent scarcity, liquidity, portability, provenance, all of these new primitives, and you apply that to traditional consumer markets like gaming, I think it's going to be really interesting because once you jump down this this Web3 rabbit hole, you never go back. And that includes finance, right? Because I come from large banks, historically, where these large entities had a monopoly on things like trading markets, right? And now over $45 billion is locked in smart contracts on the Ethereum network, um, up from $1 billion last June. And tell me what other market has gone from $1 billion to $45 billion in self-executing contracts that really no one can stop. So this trend towards retail self-sovereignty and the ability to invest in your interests, values, and beliefs, I think is one of the most powerful kind of super cycles that, that we've ever seen. And it's being massively underestimated by not just traditional finance types, but even traditional gaming types, I would I mean, it's truly incredible that what you just said, 1 billion to 45 and that amount of time, it is mind blowing. And there's no other way to describe it. Andre, can you share if you have a similar experience or what you're seeing? You know, what, I, what I've been seeing really across just the entire entertainment landscape, because I, like at the end of the day, that's what esports falls into, it's entertainment, is just this massive shift towards interactive. And it's this abstract term that not a lot of people dive into the details of, but I want to go over it because I think the audience behavior in the world of gaming and in the world of esports is something that's going to translate to every other market and, and every consumer, even when it comes to fintech. What what we're seeing is this shift uh, in the way that media is consumed. Traditionally, since radio and, and TV, it's always been 
a one-way flow of information, right? It's just the, the TV sending information to you, the viewer, uh, one way. And the viewer never can interact with the show. They're just a passive consumer. And traditional sports are the same way, right? If I go to a football game, I'm there in the stands watching other people have that experience as a passive observer, but I'm not personally there in the game. And that, that's a little unfair. Like in an arena, it's still very social. There's still people around me that it's interactive to that extent. But if I'm just watching a football game on TV, I'm very removed from that experience. And that's not the way that we as people want to be entertained because before radio, for, for millennia, since the dawn of time, all entertainment was interactive. We'd sit around a campfire together, tell stories to one another, dance to the tree spirit together. We'd hunt together. It was, it was always, you were always a participant, not a passive observer. And it was really only when radio came around and then TV after that, that entertainment started getting packaged into this one-way product and sent that way. Nowadays, what's changing is the technology has gotten better and internet has gotten fast enough to where there's these platforms online that have enabled this interactive form of entertainment. And people are quickly realizing this is how you get your product adopted much faster. You just get way better engagement. This is how people want to be entertained. I'll use like Twitch TV as an example, right? Amazon acquired it for about a billion dollars in 2016. They were a startup that they grew quite quickly before then. That's where I made a name for myself as my first platform. And, and Twitch really is this live streaming platform, right? Where you as the viewer, you're not just watching a show, but you can talk to the broadcaster in real time and he'll talk back to you or she'll talk back to you and you'll have this conversation and you've affected the show by interacting with the viewer. It's like having constant ongoing call-ins. And, and we as Tempo, we're, we're one of the first companies that's trying to really understand media that's in that vein that's interactive and trying to understand how do we treat this as more than a novelty but actually use interactivity to make a show better so we started with uh, with hive mind this our game show it's uh, one of i think maybe the most successful twitch original of all time we just broke our all of our viewership records last night the the finals are coming up next week on wednesday it's like family feud but interactive so you as the viewer when you watch a game show and you're shouting at your TV, I, I know I do. Uh, I know I do when I watch game shows. And now I can actually play along, but not passively in a way that affects the show. Our viewers are like being pulled and the contestants are trying to guess that. And and it, it's not just these live streamed shows that are going that route. It's even post-produced content. We've seen uh, a show like Bandersnatch on Netflix. It's like this Black Mirror episode. It's like a choose your own adventure. You pick the dialogue for the characters as it goes along with your remote. That show is maybe an hour long and the average watch time is over five hours. People are just replaying it. They're that hooked on just that interactive component. And that's what happens when you treat it as a novelty, right? Just when it's like uh, these three paths that you uh, can choose between. But the future, I think, is really companies understanding how to use interactivity to, to tie into their product better. So like in esports, when it really started out, it was really the arcade era. Those are the youngest iteration of esports. It was people going to an arcade room, playing Street Fighter together, and then the winner gets to stay at the machine and the loser has to leave. The next guy or girl comes up, puts the quarter in, and they play again. And that that is what the difference is between esports and sports. It, it's not just a sport, but smaller with video games. It, it's the fact that the viewers are participants. Uh, they want to be on the football field. They don't want to be passive observers in the stands. And really, that's why we're seeing a lot of the, the companies that have embraced that reality in the world of gaming, the ones that are like leaning into 
having their players be players, not just spectators. Those are the ones that are having more success. And then the esports companies that we're seeing approach it from more of like a fandom angle, trying to create a big stadium and having people watch it passively, that hasn't been received as well up until now. So I think all entertainment and, and frankly, all products are going to go more down that route because people just, we, we want agency. We want to tell our story. We don't want to watch somebody else's story. And really the that's where these different industries are converging, right? I mean, TV, video games, movies, they used to be completely siloed off from one another. And now when I look at an interactive show like Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror episode with the Choose Your Own Adventure that I gave as an example, when I look at an experience like that on Netflix, side by side with a narrative driven video game where I'm picking dialogue options on a PlayStation controller, it's really no different other than the medium. So really, I think there is this convergence of videography and game design that, that are these industries are going to continue to meld. And, and really what, what we're seeing is just interactive digital experiences, like emerging, having a lot of success. And I just think the entire entertainment industry is going to continue to go down this route and all technology that uh, is built with just that user agency in mind is going to be a lot more successful than the ones that just try to package something and sell it one way. And that, to, to Richard's point with NFTs and being like a participant in something instead of just a consumer, that's what's so powerful about that, right? If I believe in a game, for example, or an artist very early on, I can support them, buy that product, but it's not just a sunk cost. Now I own this thing that I helped validate. I'm one of the early adopters and I can get a return on that. That's a crazy shift in the way that I, I think products are going to be developed in the future. And what's so cool about this is once people get a taste of being a participant, not just a viewer, they want more. And I think it's only natural that this type of experience is going to translate into other industries. I mean, they really seem to be carving out what the future is going to look like. So speaking of the future and the changes that are happening in financial services, one topic that we just touched upon a bit earlier was fintechs. So I want to turn to Shankar and talk about if there is any opportunity here with fintechs and interactive gaming and esports with banking. Yeah, I think, look, esports and interactive is moving much faster uh, than fintechs. But, but here is where I see some opportunity. So first and foremost, look, we are used to a digital first audience and we have a lot of, you know, we can summarize the experience they are having from a UI UX perspective, design thinking perspective. We can bring that all into fintech. Second, a lot of the fintechs are looking to, while the cost of launching a fintech may not be that much with a lot of APIs and open source, I think the cost of acquiring a customer for these fintechs is pretty high. So what better way to partner with someone like a Tempo with 7 million users and growing or someone like Galaxy and then identify a way in which you can satisfy these consumers, the final consumers with also a financial product. I think that is a very good idea. We also see that online gaming, right? is moving very differently when it comes to payments and how do you satisfy for payments uh, all the time on demand and so on and the kind of work done by DraftKings, Penn Mutual, Barstool Sports are all pretty exciting. There is also a lot of action in FinTech in terms of creating something like a price-linked savings account where we learn from the gamification from esports and bring those in. For a lot of the baby savers, teen savers, how do we again put gamification functions to create a future for their uh, wealth management future. Richard spoke about blockchain and cryptos and so on. And as the demand for that is set to exceed uh, the supply, as we see from the price going up to 
65 and predicted to go to 100, how do we create more gamifications where people can save social dollars from gaming into cryptos? Lastly, I think we are learning a lot from how to personalize a game, how to make it very friendly for a target audience and so on. And I think fintech and gaming has a lot of things to accomplish together in the years to come. Well, thank you, Shankar, Richard, and Andre for joining me today. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think what we're seeing is just technology democratizing everything across the board. And gamers, like with everything, tend to be the early adopters of that. They're young, they're tech savvy, they're open to change. And even when it comes to mobile devices, the first one that was universally adopted and carried in everyone's pocket was a Game Boy long before cell phones were popular. I think it's important to understand gamers and that the, the fact that they crave that agency when it comes to building anything, including fintech products, any kind of technology that people can make that's going to put the power in the hands of the user, something that, yeah, you know, there's all the industries that have had a lot of concentrated power, things done behind closed doors, and just the end user not being too hands-on with it. Those are the things that are open to disruption. And you know, I think just any kind of technology that helps people put finance in their own hands is just the kind of thing that we're instinctively going to embrace more than you know traditional fintech products. Yeah, I think that trend's just only going to continue. Yeah, I I want to echo that. You've already heard me speak to some of these themes, but I think in the post-COVID world, it's become really clear that our digital identities have become just as important as our physical ones. And the thing that's been most interesting to me is to see uh, what a disconnect there still seems to be across generations. Games are, are still largely viewed as distractions. The virtual isn't considered real. Parents don't understand why their kids are spending all this money on, quote, fake skins or fake this or fake that. And I, I think it's time to really take our blinders off and and just see the world for what it is, where games have become this universal language that connect us through really this meritocracy of shared goals, experiences, and they give our lives structure and purpose. And I think you, you read a lot of sentiments leaning this way in, a, in the post-COVID environment where so much of our normal routines <clears throat> got disrupted. Fundamentally, I think gaming is this healthy force that not only mitigates feelings of isolation and hopelessness, but actually connects us uh, in this world where we've never been more connected, but felt more alone. And when I say that gaming is really intersecting with social finance and tech in interesting ways, I think the mind sometimes struggles, right? Because we always want to compartmentalize new trends into existing heuristics. And that's where I see a lot of traditional finance types making the biggest mistakes as they evaluate things, new trends, whether they be NFTs or what, whatever the latest thing is. The reality is consumption is now an asset, as I was saying earlier. And when the entire entertainment industry suddenly becomes an asset class in and of itself, a whole industry of innovation building around that, largely on, on open and decentralized protocols, which further facilitates and accelerates that development, unlike in Web 2.0. So I guess a very long way of saying gaming is an inevitable trend. It's a fundamentally healthy force. And so instead of denying it and looking at it with an old lens, it's time to fully embrace it and, and really dive into just the amazing world that gets unlocked 
when you you really subscribe to this thesis of uh, individual empowerment and self-sovereignty? Well, I, for one, can't wait to see what's next. This is innovation in its purest form. And I want to thank all of you for joining me today in this podcast. And to our listeners, if you found this podcast informative, please subscribe to our Banking, Payments, and Wealth Spotlight podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast apps. If you want to listen to more Capgemini Financial Services podcasts, please subscribe to our Insurance Insights podcast. We'll be back soon with another Banking, Payments, and Wealth Spotlight podcast. But in the meantime, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter and visit capgemini.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Capgemini Financial Services. Thanks for listening.